0: Ready to sharpen that axe? A podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. My name is Dylan Murphy. I am a, a guitar a, a novice, intermediate uh, player, recorder, writer. Uh, John course, crap. Oh, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, my yeah. hungover self-deprecation has just kicked into full gear. Yeah. Uh, John Gillen joining me from beautiful Colorado Springs, and uh, where that new Spike Lee movie is set. Weird enough.
1: Weird. Yeah. yeah, I just saw the trailer for that, and I was like, "Holy cow!" I, uh, okay, interesting. I'd like to see where he goes with this.
0: Yes, I, I just want to see it because I want to see where you live. I don't care about the story. Um, yeah,
1: I'm not. Uh, they, they do a couple of shots of the mountain. I don't know how much of it is actually shot in Colorado Springs. D. Snyder did a movie here ages ago.
0: Oh man! Yeah, he filmed the whole thing in Colorado Springs. So. Real, anyway, friends, new listeners, uh, this isn't a Spike Lee podcast yet, um, this but is- it might
1: be a Twisted Sister podcast.
0: That, that's that's yeah. the thing. We want to rock, Duh. Um, so yes, we, John. It's been a while since our last episode, but we've been busy, and you know, people have been you know patient in the past so that's fine i did listen back to our last podcast yesterday just to see how everything was going because just seeing how my new mic sounds and um i thought that sometimes i play podcasts at like twice the speed or one one and a half times the speed just to you know just to fly through them. you were
1: so in love with your silky voice you listened to it at half speed
0: no, I thought oh. that my podcast was set at a uh, uh, my my podcast set was set at a sped up function, but it turns out no, I just had too much coffee in that last one. Um, you were ready to
1: go, man. Had to catch that
0: bus. I did have to catch that bus, and I did. Uh, John, any anything new with you? Anything shaken? Guitar wise, oh, just,
1: just staying busy. we uh, the studio is growing, which is awesome. So, for new listeners, I have a studio in Colorado Springs called Silver Sound Guitar. And we do lessons. It's a thing we do. So totally legit and it looks beautiful.
0: Um it's someday. Cool be. we'll, we'll have you come by someday. Absolutely. So it's your lick of the week. Anything anything you want to tell me before we dive in? Um it's probably
1: not who you think it is. So there Oh cryptic. <laughs> All right. Playing. Yeah,
0: Playing. <laughs> Okay, I have a lot to unpack there. First of all, that's, yeah, okay, that's, that's several licks. Um,
1: I, yeah, I... <laughs> I couldn't I did, let just the opening one go. I mean, the opening one's great, but, you know, you, yeah. you gotta play a little bit, you might be able to get who it is, so...
0: I've, no. <laughs> oh, you, okay. i no, I, sorry, I see the thing is, like, I'm just listening to all the other instruments around it as well, and I'm like, what is this? There's, like, a shaker, and there's, like, it's, like, tribal drums, um, God, I don't even know where to start. Can you give me like a hint, like an era or uh, a related? Uh,
1: let's let's say so. Who
0: is, a, it, who is it not? Tell me who it's. Okay. Not.
1: Well, do you want me to give you like a related artist, maybe? Yes, or someone that uh, they have they've created projects together or done work together. So
2: yeah, hit me. Um,
1: so first, first of all, it's gonna be eighties. It's and sting would be
0: the related artist oh god yes <laughs> oh no i'm just thinking like 80s guitar whiz i'm just thinking like mark knopfler yes there you go all oh, yes, right it is it is dude i've been checking out because samurai guitarist uploaded his like favorite youtube videos of guitars ever and um, i think we posted it on twitter there uh, last week and yeah he has this like 10 minute version of uh, sultans of swing and it's just it's so good he yes. looks so bored no just like this it's this version it's this video from the i think it's like from the late 90s of mark knopfler doing sultans of swing uh, with a band and it's like 10 minutes long and he looks super bored but the guitar playing is just insane uh, mark, <laughs> mark knopfler your thoughts okay so this is the song calling elvis ah yeah no i've definitely heard of it before um yeah dire straits i think we we talked about like kind of the last time as well With you know growing up dire straits wouldn't have been in my household were they big over in the states they're british
1: and um, you know it's it's hard for me to say i think uh martin Offler fills just kind of one of those interesting gaps i think yeah in music because you know while money for nothing was huge uh you also had what was uh what was the name of the other one um there, so money for nothing um the walk of life oh god and, i hate that song yeah that song's terrible romeo and juliet's actually a, a great song yeah
2: i like that uh, song
1: you know and so there's there's some great great songs but uh, calling elvis was released in 91 i wanted to say i mean i said 80s because you wouldn't have been anywhere near it if i would have told you 90s but yeah um and it was just, it was on a, like a three track EP kind of thing. So, okay.
0: No, yeah, it's good. It and, was, like, are
1: you, are you a fan? Uh, of this particular song? Of yeah, I'm Mark sorry. Alfred. It was, it was on, it was on the album every, on every street. That's right. I'm sorry. Stand corrected. Uh, are
2: you, you a big Mark Mark fan?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. I mean, I own a couple of Dire, dire Straits albums, the ones that, you know, everybody should. And a greatest hits album, so I don't own any of his solo material, but he really is a fantastic guitar
0: player and yeah, he's big into country, I think, like with his you know he's got he's got like country albums and
1: yeah and and you listen to that that lick right there like it's that opening lick is all just country
0: yeah, really, really nice I was, yeah, he also did just looking up here, he did the score for the princess Bride soundtrack weird you are correct, and
1: that's it's it's a good. It's a good little soundtrack, I think. So, yeah, no,
0: I, 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 I do like what I hear from him, even if I don't really like his songs. Um, I just, I just hate the Walk of Life. So yeah, I, I, think so. I, I think deservedly. so.
1: No. money for nothing. I think is fun. Like that's one of those songs where you know you're a few pints in and you're like, oh yeah, that song's great. He's
0: being casually homophobic. <laughs> um, sorry. All right. Moving on to gear talk. So this is weird. We haven't talked about um, this before. Our, our topic of today is um, recording software, um, which is something that's fairly new to me um, in terms of like what differentiates the different recording softwares. But uh, you seem to know a lot about it, John. Are you had experience? Um, so where do we start? um well
1: i think i think starting with something that or maybe start with the overall picture and then we'll kind of work our way to like hey pricing affordability and where to start basically there's i consider probably three maybe four main players when it comes to recording software right now there's a handful of others but Mm -hmm. just to kind of list them off quickly you have ableton you have Pro Tools, you have um, Logic Pro, you have uh, Cubase, and you have FL Studio. Those are kind of the the bigger players, and each one of them will do something a little bit different for you. Different plugins, different inter- inter- uh, uh integration elements. So, but. And occasionally you still get something like you buy a Yamaha keyboard and they kick you like Yamaha's version of software, whatever that is. I, to be honest, I don't even know what that is. Um, but things yeah. like that, for the most part, it seems like they're, you know, you buy any old interface probably about five, 10 years ago and it would come with free recording software and it was rather limited and usually pretty clunky and not user friendly. But now it seems to that doesn't seem to be as much the case. For example, you buy a Focus, right? They just expect that you have some sort of decent yeah. software sort of to go with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the first time I was kind of I came across the idea of. Uh, I remember it specifically of recording software itself and the, the functionality of it was. I was talking. Sorry, I, I was reading an interview with uh, Tommy Tony Iommi uh, talking about Pro Tools and how he said it was one of the best inventions ever for musicians um uh, just uh, how he said it's just so important for just record the whole recording process and like fleshing out ideas but then this week i was listening to joe rogan's podcast where he was interviewing steven tyler who's freaking 70 years old right? oh my gosh i almost and, did
1: an aerosmith lick this week to be honest oh,
0: i'd <laughs> love to talk about aerosmith soon because i'm kind of i i i was encouraged to go back and listen to more aerosmith and it's good stuff man but he was talking about how pro tools and recording studio software has ruined music and how you know it's it's that classic you know you're drumming to a grid and you're you know you can use Melodyne to fix vocals if you're not you know uh he says people like get rusty which is an interesting point to make um but yeah pro tools was like the first big one that i was introduced to or it's, was it was it an Apple is it not is it run by Apple or owned by Apple or is it just no, like its
1: no, Pro tools is run by avid uh, okay. logic is Apple's product
0: and when it comes to a recording studio what do you what do you software what do you use
1: um, I primarily use logic just because I have yeah. it. so when I'm fleshing out ideas so it's an interesting dichotomy because I, I think they're both right I think both Tony Iomi um, and and right and in fact who bumblefoot talked about it i think as well we did come on and he said kind of a similar thing like you become a little too dependent on the tools in the software mm-hmm. and you lose a little bit of that magic of just getting people into the studio and just working out ideas and stuff but for those of us on a budget And we can't spend a day, a cocaine filled day in a studio (laughs) with (laughs) David Bowie and Freddie Mercury, you know, like, um, it's, it's a whole lot easier for you and I and everybody listening to this podcast to just like, hey, I have an idea. Let's hammer it out. In fact, I could record something and I've done several projects like this where I record a little thing and I send it off to a friend who lives in a different state or a different country. And we're able to collaborate and bring something together. In fact, recently the uh, the country project that I was working on most of the, I recorded a bunch of the guitar parts right here in my house. It was just like set it up and go. And then I could wow. send it to the producer. It, so it just, it didn't. Yeah. It's easy enough.
0: You know what I mean? Um, it's easy to look at the positives and the negatives of both of it in terms of you know functionality but it really does depend on how how you use it and what your goals are and if you're aware of your own musicianship and how uh, you know stuff can be slowed like i i do love uh, how you can use recording software to just drag and drop an mp3 and slow stuff down and chop and change and yeah, like, yeah we use that stuff for our own you know look at the week and stuff like that we use we use that kind of software so yes yeah,
1: and we use it to get this podcast out it's um it's easy the other thing though it it actually did help me improve my timing yeah. i talked about this a few weeks back or a few episodes back or whatever but where we can essentially if take a simple strumming pattern and if you're just which is something that everybody thinks they do really well but nobody does so and my myself including b- included in that just because it it is actually harder than i think we make it out to be and and so just a second i need to plug in my computer
0: yeah i mean i think like i haven't i've used logic before and i, I do like it because i am Quite familiar with the inner workings of, and um, depending on where you're from, Garage Band or Garage Band. Uh, I'm, I'm
1: impressed that you can actually do both. I don't know that I could say get Garage Garage. There you go. Yeah, uh, garage, hold <laughs> <Carled>. uh-huh. <laughs> Ooh, Mister lottie <laughs> Before Yeah.
0: Before we go I, down
1: the Simpsons Road, anyway. I,
0: uh, I know uh yeah somebody asked me three things i couldn't live without the other day and i was like spotify premium peanut butter and simpson quotes those are like (laughs) it's like oh dude
1: i'll bring you some peanut butter when
0: i am in country then oh man let's save that for our peanut butter podcast (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, crunchy smooth Uh, No, i'm just thinking anyway anyway but um i think that that's one of the best things about getting a mac uh i actually i just got a mac for work and that's why You know, my microphone is so good and everything like that. Right now, is because I'm using my new Mac. But it, you know, all Macs come with GarageBand. It's yeah, great. It's such a good tool to have, and you can put it on a, you can put it on an iPad. You can, you know, I think I don't know if there's, you can like, you know, plugins for your guitar to hook up to your iPad to go straight into GarageBand. Like it's crazy.
1: So this is, I think, this is kind of a good segue to move into like usability and pricing. So when it comes to, you're you're absolutely right. GarageBand is super easy. The newest version has this like auto drummer thing. So you, yeah, can, it's you can pick how complicated and what style and what sound you want your drummer to sound like and you just drop them in there. And then you can kind of add little extra things to the loop. So it becomes super easy to use and you can just kind of start fleshing out some ideas. You might have a riff or something like that that you're already working on and go, okay, I'm kind of thinking this drummer Mm. Get it a little more complicated, a little less complicated, and it's it's kind of a, a souped up version of Apple Loops, which has always been there, and you can always drag and drop. But it's it, it's super helpful, and like you said, it's free when you buy a Mac. So if you're <laughs> if you're gonna drop you know fifteen hundred or more on a computer, and it comes for free, it's yeah, you, you, you don't. Um, I occasionally still use it for other things just simple simple little things to show students like loops and stuff
0: Uh, uh, yeah moving on from that but like where would you go from like because you logic would be like a very pardon the term logical step up because they are both made by the same right yeah Yeah. i think so if it were me that would be the next step
1: and that's essentially what i did when i initially bought logic i went from garage band garage band (laughs) to to love and it it was it was fine it was a relative back then it was not as easy of a transition from one to the other logic Mm. is much deeper there's a whole lot more going on and it's it is more complicated yeah it's um but it does it it comes with a lot of extra plugins
0: that you don't get as well yeah so that's that's kind of helpful.
2: And um, one of
3: the best
0: things about using these softwares is that there is a demo for everything on YouTube, like everything. Yeah. So that, that's been really helpful for me. Um, but what about the other things? Like, what about like Ableton? What what's the big difference between Ableton and Logic?
1: Ableton, I think, I think of these three. Now, this is of Logic, Ableton, and Pro Tools. Um. Ableton is Ableton's probably one of the more expensive ones whereas Logic for example is 200 bucks which isn't a ton mm-hmm. but at the same time you know it's it, it's it's worth the investment let me put it that way Ableton you're looking at like 450 or so to really get into the full thing um uh, 450 500 depending um There are upgrade options that are a little bit cheaper, whatever. But the point is, like, Ableton is great for live functionality, and it does stuff more efficiently, I think, when performing live. So you can add things like your backing tracks. You can – MIDI information that, for example, if you've got something like an Axe effects or a Line 6 Helix or – the Kemper or any of those things that you can program the MIDI information into Ableton. Ableton also interacts with much more robust software better. So things like Max MSP, which is basically a software that will allow you to do anything you could possibly imagine. So I've seen composers, for example, create laser beam harps and then program a wide variety of sounds into each laser beam. And that information is then sent to Max, which is then used in Ableton to trigger other things. So you perform a particular note, and then it triggers another sequence from Max that sends a message to Ableton and allows Ableton to play whatever it's supposed to play. Good and, God. And the the flexibility of Ableton to do stuff on the fly, coupled with something like Max MSP, is just It is literally mind-boggling. Anything you could possibly think of, there's a way to do it with those two programs. Ableton is a little bit less user-friendly, I think, than Logic or even Pro Tools. I think it's a lot less friendly than Logic. Logic, I think, is probably your most user-friendly. And then of those, probably Pro Tools after that. Pro Tools, I think, requires a little bit of a deep dive just to find your way into the basic functionality of it. Mm -hmm. Ableton is not as intuitive as either one of those, which is also a downside, but the robust nature of Ableton, once you start getting the hang of it, like it can do just about anything you want it to do, which is part of the reason Ableton Live, like it's great for live performances. And great for
0: live. Manipulation. Yeah. I've heard that as well. It really does depend on what you're going kind to of going for as well. Isn't it? It's really kind of,
1: yeah, useful. it is, you know, so pro tools is something like if you go back and forth between a Mac and a PC, or a lot of the people you're collaborating with would also use a Mac or, or Mac and PC, whatever, you know, if you have this spectrum of people that you're working with, I would say pro tools is just the best cross operating system. One where okay. logic, is great for for your own personal projects if you've got a mac it just makes sense it's 200 bucks it's cheaper than pro tools pro tools now also has we were talking about this before the show started there's a like a subscription service kind of like adobe has now and it's and then it's what what was it 500 euros euro dollars for the, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the full version like a full license that, that, to me, is somewhat cost prohibitive when you're talking. That's a nice way of saying it's super expensive. Yeah, exactly. No, however, so uh, cheaper options, though. You have things like FL Studios. And I've worked with people who... I am not familiar. FL Studio. Cakewalk is still out there doing its thing. It's been probably 15 years since I've looked at Cakewalk or Cubase, both of them are pretty solid recording platforms, but I wouldn't be able to tell you. FL Studio is a good... That one is super user-friendly. Usually comes with a lot of plugins. Super easy to use. Good place to start for $200. It is, particularly if you're on a Windows platform, I would say FL Studio is the way to go as opposed to... Um, yeah. Magic, just because it's it's cheaper. But, um, but yeah, so... Uh, Other things out there if you're looking to just start dabbling audacity is a good way to go It's completely free. It's open source. It allows you to just track your ideas. It doesn't have any plugins There isn't any of that flexibility. It has some easy things that you can do like you can pitch shift and you can do reverse and Things like that, but it doesn't it doesn't really allow you to do reverbs and delays and synthesizer sounds and those sorts of things. It's just bare bones recording software but it is something to kind of get you started
0: well there you go yeah i think that's a, a well-rounded introduction to where to get started with audio software yeah um i am playing around with the car hold band on my
2: <laughs> Mac, um,
0: and i will probably invest in logic in the in the near future um cool awesome friends what kind of audio software do you use for recording uh tweet at us Send us an email. Tell us. Let us know what you think. Uh, yes, we've become more active on Twitter now because I've made it a daily thing on my checklist to try and do. Put up a tweet. I love uh, your
1: checklists, man. I am so jealous. Man, of I'm,
0: I'm, I am more checklist than man. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of how our
1: podcast started for those of you that are still listening. So yeah, that's my long rant about recording. <laughs> Uh, yeah a little
0: insight into into the inner working yeah
1: it was Uh, was dylan's checklists and it was like how do we how do we do this better
0: and play guitar so there you have it uh there there you have it so anyway our main our main topic of today is possibly the most fun i've ever had recording this podcast Uh, i see how it is yeah okay
1: (laughs) the things i do for you and the thanks i get
0: oh god can we save this for off air uh no john you must you must admit you i think it was you came to me with the idea let's contact two of our previous guests and ask them what they think about music theory and it's it's just the result is fantastic it's just do you want to explain a little bit more
1: yeah well it was it was a the thing was, is I had seen a little bit, both of them have talked about it in the past. So, and I, it, Chris Zupa kind of talks a little bit about how music theory can help his students. In fact, he had a, a little blog vlog post or whatever, where he essentially said, you know, music theory is helpful because it does this, you know, and essentially when you're learning a solo, you're able to look at it and go, oh, it's this scale, it's in this key. This is what he's doing. These are the chords he's playing over. And all of a sudden, the thing makes sense. It's not just this robotic motion. You're able to actually articulate what's happening and go from there. Um, And so Jens, on the other hand, goes pretty in-depth into some of his online lessons where he talks about the importance of being able to navigate chords, what those chords are, and how to solo over them and all that stuff. So I think... It occurred to me like, hey, it's it, it'd be good to have these guys from two very different musical backgrounds come together and talk a little bit about why they think studying music theory is important. Because for some reason, there's kind of two camps of guitarists. There's guitarists who just like dive deep into the music theory and become like theory nerds. And then there's kind of the other camp where it's like, I don't need theory because my fingers are bass, bro. So... This where, where can you meet in the middle, and like where can you find that in uh, the value in this particular task?
0: Absolutely. Well, let's let's not delay any longer. Let's get into it. This is our interview with uh, Jens Larsen and Chris Zupa and us. Uh, John was recording it at two a.m. or something like that because something somebody, like that had to, somebody had to draw the short straw. Uh, <laughs> enjoy, friends. All right. So, what was the what was the what was the train
4: of thought we, we, we were on? Okay. It's long gone.
1: Welcome, welcome, guys. This is a, a great pleasure. We're crossing four time zones here. We've got oh, Zuba, sense. Jens Larson, Dylan Murphy, and myself, John Gillen. Welcome to Sharpen That X. And one of the big things we wanted to talk what about. What is my name, <laughs> Did Chris you say Zuba? name? Did I not say <laughs> Chris Zuka? <laughs> it's, 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 it's late. It's <laughs> early. <laughs> Whatever.
2: What is that?
4: Forgettable guy who says nothing sitting in the
0: background. <laughs> <laughs> this is our plan, Chris. We were going to have you on and then not let you do anything. Just so for you. By, like, for the
1: He's the bit. quiet one, really.
0: <laughs> Smashing start, John. What is it, 3 a.m. over there?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. It is so. so at any the, moment, welcome, everybody, life. including Chris Zupa.
0: So. <laughs> Good save. So John, this was your idea to kind of have this um this this menage for um, and <laughs> to talk about music theory and its applications um why why did you feel this is important to talk about especially as a as a as a squad as a kid
1: well i i think both because chris and Jens do very different things musically um but there's there's an importance to music theory in general. And I think they both would agree, but I think they would also offer certain different perspectives on how they use it or how they might teach it and and how it applies to what exactly they do. I feel like music theory has a tendency, particularly as guitar players to kind of get pushed aside where people bring up a player and just say, well, Jimi Hendrix didn't know any or whatever. Absolutely. And, and just kind of make something out. Or just like I just trust my ear and it's all about feel. I just feel the notes and we all know where feel gets us. And i like feel a feel a substitute of a seventh
4: of a seven chord over a Dorian two. It's gonna <laughs> sound great if you play a minor seven flat five over that, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Duh.
1: Duh. Hey, didn't didn't one of you guys just have a video about playing minor seven flat
3: fives? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was actually,
2: I was about actually to watch that,
3: so. use theory to get some more stuff to play on it, but yeah. Um, well, I mean, so I, the whole thing with 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 what's always coming up is indeed the thing with feeling stuff. It's not. I don't think I get it so much on my um, on my channel, but that is something that sort of keeps popping up on Reddit and wherever I I see that and. Um, the, Weird, weird thing about this is that if you're working on theory, and if you're trying to learn something through theory, what some people also will miss is that they actually have to work on it so much that they can't feel it or hear it. Mm-hmm. So there is there is something to that, you know. Like, so you have that to. So if you true. want to do that, you. So if you want to feel it, you actually need to work your ass off for a long time to to be able to play something with a quarter a or something. This if you know the- what a quarter a is.
2: Yeah,
4: this is the thing that I say to a lot of my students is there's no point in me teaching you what all of this theory is. I'm like, here's the circle of fifths, here's how to find your mixolydian that's relative to whatever this, you know, this original Aionian situation was. This means nothing other than a very, very interesting conversation with another person who may or may not know what you're talking about unless you have a backing track and you're using that mixolydian scale. It's just a conversation with silly words.
2: So I can't <laughs> unless you're actually...
4: Unless you're actually applying that and going, I can hear the dominant seven, I can hear those Celtic notes, or I can hear the flat two, I can hear that I'm being chased by a shark, or I can hear that raised six, I can hear I'm getting stoned with David Gilmore. These are the <laughs>
2: things that make
4: that situation Dorian or that situation Phrygian. Otherwise it's just, it's a skill with the flat two. Like that doesn't mean anything. And it's, mm. for me, if I don't see them applying it, it's kind of pointless.
0: Interesting. It's still necessary.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I suppose, like Yen's, what what would be one of the biggest? I mean, because I go on both of your YouTube channels, and Yen's your stuff is basically kind of theory right away. It's 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 a massive component, and I'd say, what is the biggest kind of stumbling block for or building block for teaching students about theory for the first time? Because it seems to be a huge part of your teaching and playing
2: style.
3: Well, I think I've designed my channel so that the one thing I don't have to do is to teach them theory from the beginning. <laughs> <Actually>. That's fair. <laughs> so it was back in the,
4: the ultimate up guitar days when they'd be like, you have to tell us where the drop two voicing is first. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, do a little bit of research by yourself and then read his article, you jerks.
3: But it's also, I mean, uh, I, I think the, the thing that, that most people don't have down and I think that's the same, it's probably the same almost with any aspect of the guitar, is that they don't have their basics down. Really, you don't need to know a lot of theory if you really know your major scales, and you really have a good overview of that. If you understand what that is, what the chords are in there, and know the notes by heart. Hopefully, (laughs) if you want to use it for anything, you can play it on the guitar as well, but I mean, you need to know that, and then I think anything that I'm saying in a video is gonna be pretty trivial. Really because that's all you need to know, then I'm just half the time what I'm doing is i'll take um I'll take the major scale and then I'll go, well, let's look at this set of notes and then let's move that through the scale and try and see if we can fit it on some chords and make something that sounds strange and then that's that's the lesson and really, that's what you need to know. if you know that, then that's actually quite easy what i do you don't you don't even need to watch the listen you just need to figure out the first step okay,
0: cool. And and Chris, with your with your kind of your style of playing, and just trying to compare the two with the whole kind of the shredosphere, um, are I'd assume a lot of people who just want to learn like kind of um, three note per string patterns and stuff like that. Do, do is there a lot of uh, using or like teaching theory is such a big part? But do you think that many people are interested in actually learning it?
4: Well, that's the thing is I've got I've got students who are like, I've learned these many, you know, this many Avenged Sevenfold solos off of you and I've done this, I've done this and I want to get Skype lessons and they come into the Skype lesson like, oh, I don't know what this is called. I don't know what this is called. I'm having, hmm. I'm having trouble songwriting because all I listen to is this band and I kind of know that this works here, but everything I write sounds like this one band. I'm like, it's because you're only learning music by one band and you're not doing any music theory as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I guess like as, uh, as my channel sort of, as I grow older and wiser, I'm trying to sort of just slip in cheeky things like this is position two of the A minor pentatonic. He's using it here for this. You'll notice that there's a cheeky raised third here or, you know, he's using a major third over this. Like, I'll try and just sort of get into the head of what the uh, original composer is doing in, in those solos and going, you know, I think he did this to create this sound. But there's a diminished arpeggio here and that kind of works over the dominant chord or whatever it is. I'm trying to get a little bit more of that um, into my lessons now, because I just think, you know, teaching them the solo note for notes good, but I don't know whether I'm doing enough of a service as a teacher to just be like, "Yeah, note for note of the solo, that's done, move on. Because some of them, as I said, are coming to me, not knowing what the names of these scales are. They can play them fast, Mm. but only in that one context. Right.
3: But I think there's also the way to go. I mean, you want to see, if you want to teach people theory, it is if it's only theory, if it's only like, I know the name of it and I know what it is, then it's not anything. But if you can point to a place in a, in a song where it's like, okay, here they're using it, then it's something you can hear. Then it's something you can understand. Then it's, mm. then it's something that you actually learn. You know? mm. that's, a, that's the way to learn it, really.
4: Having thinking? an emotional and sonic association with, with music theory is something that just just keeps coming up for me like is like how does that aioli make you feel or you know when they get out of the cave in the lord of the rings and they're like oh my god we've defeated those trolls and you know the elven villages over there and it's like they use that dorian scale because it's got this minor sound with this sense of hope and i'm like think about that and then if you think about that every time you're listening to dorian you've got that minor sound with that sense of hope you have an emotional and sonic association with that. <laughs> and that God minus was nerdy. Yeah, you know what I mean like that minus scale with a race 6 becomes something. It becomes mm. a memory, it comes you know, a piece of the film <laughs> other than jaws. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I I really like I really like the the fact that you're associating the theory with with an emotional context and not even just a scale or not even just hey this band uses this a lot. You know mm. your whatever it is the the Lydian dominant or a, a Phrygian dominant, which I've been coming across a lot recently mm. in, in modern metal music, but it, mm. it doesn't it doesn't mean anything unless you have that emotional connection to it. I just think of Aladdin every time I think
4: of um,
2: Phrygian dominant. I think of it. <laughs>
4: that's my <laughs> reference for that uh, well, yeah, we about do you remember that do you remember oh, when yeah. you like, used to pretend to be a prince for a bit there you go. i was an early 90s disney child i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend that i wasn't <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it's quite it's the like, to teach people these things in the early stages you need to get it in its most caricaturistic format like mm, yeah just going oh well it's six sevenths of the scale are the same as the Aeolian. People don't get that. And I'm like, really? what this one note does is gives you that American beauty sound, you know? Yeah. <laughs> how, can you, how can you take this to the most like ridiculous level? of That's what I mean, is get that caricature of the sound.
3: Make Which, it is, why I use Which is why I use country music most of the time when I'm trying to explain simple theory. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because could you like, Could you go into that a bit more? Well, I mean, um, uh, so not so much the caricature of thing, but uh, country music has pretty clear tonal harmony, as opposed to what Chris is doing. Uh, I'm not so much, it's not so useful for me to teach modes really a lot. It's much more about teaching a key and some progressions within that key. Mm-hmm. And country music is very tonal, and also just um, a lot of it will have a little bit more rich harmony which is a little bit closer to what I need to teach eventually, which is going to be like, yeah, standards and stuff like that. So, uh, so in that way, it's like, I can just play that. And then the two things you can sort of um, use to demonstrate it simply would be Beatles songs and, uh, and stuff that sounds like uh, country.
2: Hmm.
1: Interesting. So a question for both of you guys, then when, when you're trying to get someone to practice, this idea of theory? Like how, how do you go about that with your students? And how do you, how would you encourage somebody to work on their theory besides sort of sitting down with a, a theory book and just doing exercises by row? What are the things that, that you found really useful in applying it to the instrument? Um, may I? <laughs> yeah. um,
4: I I found that actually getting them to, As as offensive as you said, you know, doing the theory book stuff—not exactly theory book stuff, but like actually getting a pen and paper and doing some rote learning. So much crap is done on on computers now, and because Mm -hmm. my wife's a psychologist, and she's like, we're missing all of this like stuff in the education system now because children aren't writing shit down. Sorry, I just said the S word, my bad. Um, But actually writing it down and going, okay, I can see the relationship here, and then doing the circle of fifths homework. That is important, and then the other thing as well is I give them listening homework and just saying, go home and try and listen to the doreen in these five songs. Those are five Dorian songs in a row that I list, and see if you can find these emotions that I've listed. And that's got nothing to do with the guitar. So most of my music theory is about putting your instrument down, and not going, what's this shape? But actually going, what are the intervals? What do I have to do? And what is the emotion connected to this, this concept that we're trying to grasp? So I think a lot of the time actually physically putting the guitar down, understanding it and then going, all right, I get this idea now. Now I'm going to try and convey what Chris told me in the context of a jam track or next time I listen to this song and I'm playing this solo, I'm going to be listening out for, you know, that cheeky raised third and the Phrygian dominant that isn't otherwise in the regular Phrygian, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that kind of thing. So I'm a big fan of the non-instrument theory grasp before you <clears throat> before you do it, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. And I do it, I kind of do it the other way around. I, I think I, I much more will uh, teach music theory on the instrument really. So um, <clears throat> if they're playing some, if my student, I mean, most of my students are anyway trying to learn how to play jazz standards and jazz. So usually I'll just say, well, okay, here's the song. Here's the key. Uh, hopefully they can play the major scale. Hopefully uh, they, done their homework so they know how to play the diatonic uh, chords in the major scale in that position and then I'll just say well okay next, go home, figure out all the um, all the arpeggios in this position so you can play that with the song in time and then from there take it further with try and improvise with it, try and, you know, try and apply it, hear how it works and how it connects with what's happening in the song.
4: I think your students sound a lot smarter than mine. <laughs> 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 because there's this assumption that they've learned all of those shapes and all of those things and i'm so jealous that you can just say well i just you know then they know the major scale and they know that i'm like why did i get that
0: <laughs> but yeah. Cut to like a long-haired rocker with a bc rich guitar just going and
4: <laughs> just like yeah i know all of the major and minor seventh chord shapes let's do this let's do this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I will occasionally also so just end up with lessons going like, well, yeah, uh, we're not really going to work on songs. You need to, to get this stuff down first. Yeah. You know?
4: Sometimes I'll just sit there with them and go, here's the C chord, here's the C major seven chord, here's the C dominant seven chord, here's the C minor chord, here's the C minor seven flat five chord, here's the D C diminished seven chord, and we'll just keep flattening crap till they understand it. And I'm like, here's all of that again in a different position. And then they're just like, by the end of the lesson, I'm like, oh, oh my shit. God. And I'm like, well, you can't waltz around trying to play these these jazz standards. I, I do teach a little bit of jazz um, every now and then with only knowing one F minor on first fret. <laughs> 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 it's not enough. You, you can't just move that shit around. <laughs> you, need, you need other inversion. So that's, I mean, that's that's probably where I would sort of do a bit of the Ennis approach uh, in doing, you know, actual. You need the guitar to learn these shapes and all of these different versions and that kind of thing. And guitar's so faulted comparatively to piano. We just like yeah, use the guitar, it's like one in the chord, bam, um, and you know, having to choose between the third and the fifth. And they're like, well, which one do I choose? I'm like, you're gonna are you get asked to join a band, and they're like. Here's a chord chart. You've got to figure it out. You need to have, like, the independence and the confidence to go, do I want to do this and this, or do I want to drop it Drop it here? You need to have the options to do that. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of – chordal theory is not something that you can sort of tell them to go away and figure out. There's a lot more hand-holding in yeah. those lessons uh,
0: during those kind of things. And do you find, both of you, maybe, that um – um like it, there should be kind of a, 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 an equal balance between teaching theory and technique. I suppose it depends on what the student wants to learn, but the whole, you know, what is more important to practice or learn? Do you guys find it's kind of like 50-50 or like when they're dividing their practice time, do you recommend practicing one as much as the other or do you think that well, theory needs more of a focus?
3: Well, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't really tell them. Too much. I mean, of course I tell them to practice stuff That's technique. I don't think I really tell them too much. That's that's directly like, okay, this is this is the theory segment of your practice routine. Mm. I don't think I ever told anybody to have to have that,
4: unless uh, they actually ask. I'm having trouble practicing, and I need you to spoon feed me. You know how I'm going to split my hour into fifths. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then and go all right. Monday, this is how much time you have. You don't get to do theory every day, but you've got to figure out how you're going to do your theory, your improvisation. Um, your song stuff and your technique stuff. And you're not going to be able to do all four of those in a 45 minute block, you know, little things like that. Mm. For me, if I, you know, I think Dylan said something about 50, 50, I would dare say it's probably, you know, a one third to two, two thirds kind of ratio thing, because I don't think any of my students are going to do 50% theory. Yeah. Practice thing. It's just not practical as much as I would love them to in some cases. It's just not going to, um, it's just not going to happen. And it gets to a certain point of theory where you give them enough stuff to amuse them for a few months and they just need to let, they just need to soak it up and let that cook for a little bit. And you can go, well, you're getting pretty confident with your arpeggios. It's super imposing time. (laughs) And and then, you know, they start going, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you can, you can play a a four over a two chord. And like, why? And then we go down that rabbit hole of, you know, trying to turn a, you know, trying to mimic a ninth chord without actually having to play the root note and all of that jazz. And you'd see their brain exploding again, and then you can do that for a few months. So for me, it's about sort of measuring the smugness
0: of the student and when I'm going to destroy their confidence again. <laughs> You're taking a lot of, like, sly jabs at your students here, Chris. I'm loving it, but I'm really hoping that they're listening, going, oh, you know, a like, you know, single tear coming down.
4: To their credit, it's when I know that they're catching up to me and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> 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 no, I'm going
2: gotta stay one step like ahead.
4: Really really push me. Um, you know, was why it- isn't
3: I mean for me it's like also I think what I tell them to do is to actually practice their technique and their theory at the same time. Because again, coming back to the idea that well, the only thing you really need to know is just what are the notes in the scale that you're playing, what are the arpeggios that you're practicing in that scale and all that stuff. So mm. if you're anyway just playing technique and you have to start really slowly well, you might as well just think or say the notes while you're practicing scales. So, so I give that exercise sometimes. Your uh, theory
4: is very surreptitious, like it's like you don't even realize you're doing theory as you're playing it. Like, I think that's a really cool way to do it.
3: Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's that's also because you need to, again, it's the thing like you wanna find a way to do it where you're really connecting to the instrument and, and, um, and where it's also, if you're practicing your scales and you know, I mean, you wanna know what the notes are. And I think, what is never taught anywhere is that it's easier to remember uh, what the notes are of a scale, to have a, the overview of a major scale with seven notes, and then go, okay, so I'm playing these seven notes, I can kind of visualize just a row of seven notes, and if I start here on the neck, that's an A, so the next one is A, so the, uh, so the first one is an A, so the next note I'm going to be playing is the next note in the scale, that's going to be a B, and then it's going to be a C, and then it's going to be a D. And in that way, just using that to just connect, okay, I actually know what notes I'm playing because I know the scale. I don't have to mm. think about where it is on the neck, really, because it's in the scale. And I know the scale, band. and that's easy mm-hmm. to memorize, and that way you're learning the fretboard.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, I was actually just going to ask that. So a big part of this to me seems that you've got to really know where your notes are on the fretboard in the first place. Otherwise, a lot of this stuff just goes out the window.
3: Yeah, well, but at the same time, it's also if you you know the theory, then you don't need to know that, then you then you already have the overview. Yeah, you know, and also then you don't have to worry too much about the notes in the sense that if you're used to playing um, a C, over a C major chord with a C major scale, then um, once you move the shape around, you can still do it and you can actually figure out what notes you're playing, even though you don't have to think about it from where it is on the neck. You can just think about where it is in the scale. All right.
4: Can I throw a quick spanner in the works, being mm-hmm. the, the metal guy that I am and having the jerk students that I have? <laughs> <laughs> just you know really who cool. you are. <laughs> some of these One guy that started lessons and he's like, I've only got one guitar and it's in C standard at all. <laughs> okay? So I'm like, I can't teach you theory on this because none of the notes are what they should be, and I've got other kids who are like, oh, "All I learn is bullet for my Valentine." So all they've ever known is drop C tuning, and I'm just like, "This isn't where you start."
3: <laughs> that's true, but I mean, if you teach them, if you te- if you're teaching them on an instrument that's tuned in the same way, which is easier, then you just teach them as if it's standard. That's the only yeah. thing that makes any sense. That's also how you would teach uh, somebody who plays a saxophone that's also a transposing instrument and actually the guitar is also a transposing instrument because we write everything in the wrong octave. Yep. So In that way mm. I would go like you need to know like it could be that that this is in fact F minor but we're going to call it A minor because everybody else who plays a normal a normal guitar is you know, so yeah. going to call this A minor.
4: Yeah I have to do that and I'm like this is pretend A today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pretend that my perfect pitch has been switched off. I'm just like hitting that switch. <laughs> five is A today. <laughs> like, it's really hard for me because um my wife said it to me so t- so many times. She's like, You've got undiagnosed OCD. There's things that really upset you that shouldn't. <laughs> so yeah, it's, 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 I really it's, think it's
3: like if you really check good. out people who are teaching who are teaching um home players, you know, how, how that how they're used to thinking in more Keys because all the I know quite a few home players who are perfect pitch and they're really used to just having different names for it and I don't really know what they then consider the real I mean imagine that you're playing an E flat instrument and then every time every time you're playing an E flat um then then uh no every time you're playing a C an E flat comes out like how do you deal with that you know (laughs) know. (laughs) but Uh, I think think those are the places you want to check that out how, how to get used to that because they're already doing it that's crazy
4: it's too much for me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so much nice to take in. I remember um, I was recording one of my students, She, I think she's in, in year, year 10. She's a multi-instrumentalist, absolutely amazing. They had this thing. All the year 10s had to go out and, and do some sort of emotional learning journey, and kids were learning to do calligraphy, and other kids were, like, trying to build hover bikes and something crazy like that. And and she said, I want to play guitar, bass, drums and saxophone on this song. We're sitting there and we're writing out the bass line and we've written this melodic line and she's sitting there playing on the saxophone. I'm like, that's out by three semitones. And she's like, oh well E flats this and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And then we had to to retranscribe that. And that was like a huge moment for me where I was like, oh, okay. So not every instrument is the same thing. And that was really, really very confronting as a, you know, a younger me being just a rock and metal guy who's like play these notes on that blowy thing <laughs>
2: like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> baker street go on <laughs> take it um we're we're running a little bit low on uh recording time because the uh zoom gods are are being angry so i was just wondering um i've learned you know certain aspects of my th- i really improved my theory through going to you got your guys respective youtube channels like for chris um really helped me with like using modes to actually construct solos i've been going through your solo builders and it was great to you know see the different shapes around the neck and then with Yen's, the the chord shapes and the arpeggio shapes like both really like invaluable things to my own practice but i was wondering for you guys um maybe you could tell us what are the like the go-to resources for teaching theory or improving it
3: <laughs> well I mean the thing is I actually I get this question so often like because people are always saying well what's a good book to learn theory and is I I guess I learned theory when I was in school like when I when I got my degree you know mm. so I never read any books about it we, I just had a class and that means that I, I have no idea really and for the rest what I I do a lot is just and and that's also how I teach is really just like okay um Analyze so you know, figure out what and and that makes it, of course it's a natural part of playing jazz that you need to to analyze the songs because otherwise you can't play yeah. them.
4: Mm. That's the case. You kind of but learn but when you when you're analyzing it. Um, I tend to find as well it's like uh, you know if you've got a sixth chord that's been dominated and the kid's like well what do I do over this and I'm like I guess we could do a Hindu mixolydian over that and like the more we we sort of started messing around with um you know these substitutions and these weird non-diatonic chords um i was learning a lot by having to analyze what was available to that situation
3: yeah Yeah, and for me that's also like i would just also try and relate everything i mean I, i play a lot of i play a lot of songs so i i just always analyze them and that means that i just always try to use whatever i know and even if i don't know um I mean, most stuff you can easily explain. Most songs are, are trivial. And then there's going to be like one or two places that are maybe a little bit funny. And then those are the places that are going to stick out and you're going to keep on thinking about those until you figure out what they are. Mm. And, and then I'll look stuff up if I need to. But most of the time it's just trying to really keep on applying, keep on uh, using the fact that you can... And also when I'm teaching. So so of so wonder why, um, why Coldplay have songs that... Um, uh, that, that repeat the same four chords and why is that not boring exactly and and it's because they they try to confuse you and it's, it's not really what's the key and it's unclear and that's why if you play it four hundred thousand times it's still gonna be okay to listen to stuff yeah, like that yeah. also going uh, out into other genres is really something that I've learned really a lot from in terms of just trying to understand everything I played and everything I had to come across and that way I, I, that's what I use and also where I learn the most and then I of course I have to sort of make the theories myself and live it <clears like throat> that way, but them.
0: Cool. I yeah, I was really worried know. we weren't, yeah. Sorry, I was really worried that we weren't going to get through an interview with the ends without bashing Coldplay at some point, but thank God we got <laughs> that in at the end. But that happened last time as well. We made it. He <laughs> did. I don't mind them, are we, are we meant to hate them? Oh <laughs> uh, God, he didn't get the
4: memo. I, 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 I... <laughs> I think 1999 Coldplay, when I first heard that Parachutes album, I was like, okay, I can hear some like Radiohead and Jeff Buckley stuff going on here. This guy's got something going on. And then there was like, I'm going to marry the most beige woman ever. And name my child Apple. Name my child Apple and then just write kind of naffy. Like he's doing like a lot of like electronic pop with like, you know, whoever's, you know, Oh, what are they called—the chain smokers or whatever? You know, yeah, that song, pop bellies or whatever. Like, holy crap! Like, I know Chris Martin is talented, and I know he can do interesting stuff. And that's the thing that I find interesting about bands like Coldplay and Radiohead and Muse—is it's like they're still considered pop music, but they do interesting chord progressions and they take a few risks that let you listen to it a couple of hundred times over and not be bored by. It. Mm-hmm. You know, comparatively to like. Getting Katy perry like, and in the first 20 seconds of a song, the first time you've heard it, you're like, I know where this is going, and it's going to be a hook here, and here comes the pre chorus, and here comes the chorus, and we're going to hear all of that again, and the cheeky bridge, like, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's that's when my brain just starts checking out, and it's really dangerous when I'm driving because I'm not yeah. more. <laughs> I'm like running red lights, and I'm just like,
1: so bad at nodded gates. <laughs> I'd love to see you explain that to the police too. There's, yeah, it was yeah. Katy
4: Perry's fault. That was the most predictable chord progression on the radio, and I just switched off. <laughs> <laughs> guy hitting the, the baton of my window. Yeah, go on, mate. Keep going. <laughs> we got a six one two over here, Katy Perry. Oh. <laughs>
0: Start our, we'll start our uh, I Hate Pop Music podcast next week. Um, guys, we have uh, three minutes and 44 seconds left. So I was just wondering, um, Chris, you have a new book
3: out. Would you like to plug it slightly?
4: Ultimate Shred Machine. Um,
0: it's the got is amazing.
4: Yes. Um, I can't be taken seriously. I can't just be another guy, like, holding his guitar on the front cover. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's not you. You're an idiot. You do dumb stuff, and you don't want to go to bed like releasing that book going, oh man, I had the funniest idea. And I didn't, I didn't do it. It was stupid. I should have done it. Like, I was like, I can't not see this gag through. I'm going to pay someone $400 to draw me in a predator droid and it's happening. It's going happen. <laughs> so that happens. Worth every penny. <laughs> the book is called Ultimate Shred Machine because it's funny because we're talking about resources before people are like, where do I get a good shred book? What do I do? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to write the book and then you can have it. So goes shred, legato, tapping and sweeping. And hopefully with all of those four ideas explained in depth with over a hundred exercises, that gets most people to square one, to playing most guitar solos that are out there right now. That oh, was kind of the aim of, aim of the book. And I'll probably do a, a part two, but at the very least, you know, it's, it's covering the majority of what's out there in those four techniques. It's an angry toddler running out the back of mine. My- Side of my, <laughs> my room, so I apologize for that. <laughs> That's um, quite
3: right.
4: that great, that, Chris. I, I don't want to take up the other 215, so spread the love.
3: Yeah. Jens, yeah, is
0: there anything you're, you're working on right now, or um, anything you'd like to plug?
3: Um, well, no, I don't really need to have too much to plug. I mean, I have a book coming out. Brilliant. Uh, but um, but it's, it's still, I just finished the examples and stuff, so mm-hmm. i still still the editor. Which is the same editor as what uh, Chris has, actually.
4: All of us are on the same same company now. <laughs> <laughs> Levi Clay's on it. Chris Brooks is on it. Uh, My guitar repair is on it. <laughs> it's <crazy>. great. <laughs> it's one happy family. I Less smell than a sponsor.
0: Minute. Less than a minute. Uh, that, that's <laughs> quite all right, um, guys. This has been great, really fun as always. And uh, John, anything you'd like to ask or add, or? No, I don't think
1: so. I don't think we have time. But um yeah, we to, love to be able to do this again, guys. This was great. So
0: Yeah. I for our I think Coldplay
1: podcast. You're a wonderful man.
0: Appreciate <laughs> <Pretty laughs> it. Oh, take one for the team. Um guys, this should be out in a few weeks. We'll let you know when it drops and you can plug it to your uh, to your stupid students. No, to your to your uh, loyal fans. Uh, Royal fans
2: uh, and stupid <laughs> students, whatever the case may be.
0: <laughs> we just lost fifty percent of our. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dang it, Chris! Uh, uh, okay, again. I'm surprised we're still like we're still talking.
0: But okay, yeah. okay, leave right. meeting. Three, two, one. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. And we're back, friends. Wasn't that just a bundle of fun? I, I like to think so. Wow,
1: that is like the most Mr. Rogers thing you've ever Dead.
0: seen. <laughs>
2: there you go. Wow, uh,
1: friends. That was great. Here's my uh, cardigan. Ah, uh, shucks. Uh, put on my slippers. I'm actually wearing my slippers. There you so go. It's 8.30 cool on a Sunday morning. Like, um, I can wear my slippers
0: yes uh yes absolutely you can uh more so now than ever uh y- yes i i thoroughly enjoyed that interview Um not just because because you know chris Zupa called me a charming young man or whatever it was um but i i, <laughs> I managed to one...
1: forget his name in the introduction so yeah that
0: was uh oh, seems... he hung in there anyway he, he did voice um,
1: face red
0: i really enjoyed that and one of my favorite things about it was so i've been Trying to dive a little bit into modes and the functionality of modes, and what Chris one of the first things Chris said was about talking about hearing the mode, hearing the notes that differentiate, not learning a pattern, just you know being able to hear the the functionality of the mode through the song. Uh, I I really really liked that, and that that was such a nice thing to open with, and I. Did love all the sly digs he took at the students. That
1: was really, really good. Um, yeah, the context and modes I think is a big thing, and and I definitely appreciated that as well. Like that, that was a good insight.
0: Yeah, what what did you enjoy about the interview,
1: John? <laughs> um, I think I think it was just there was there was a lot of good takeaways from both of them. I just I, I appreciate Chris. I mean, Chris's frankness about the whole thing. Um, which is great it's so the most
0: australian thing
1: yeah i know just we've had australian candor it was great but again the fact that music theory is is a tool to help you develop the rest of your playing skills you know and, and yeah I, which is really kind of what i was hoping to get out of it and and the importance of it for a lot of different things. It doesn't really matter what style you're playing, which is why I wanted to get these two guys together. It doesn't matter what style you're playing, but it helps you to unlock the fretboard. But it should also be something that you can hear, uh, to your point, you know? Mm. You can hear why a Lydian, you can hear where that sharp four is, and you can hear what it does, and you can hear the kind of chords you can play it over, and those sorts of things, so. But yeah, I, I mean, it was it was loads of fun and great. So I, I definitely hope we can have them on the show again in a similar capacity, though navigating all that. of those schedules is not
0: easy. Absolutely, I just want everybody like just all just to do it again, but get drunk in the process. Uh, that'd be fun. Episode one hundred, maybe. There you go. <laughs> so, John, speaking of playing, what have you been working on? i me in the middle of chewing a pancake. There you go. Um, yeah. Keep you on your toes.
1: Yeah, there you go. So a few, a few weeks back, well, a couple of things. I've been working on some classical stuff, but – or no, not weeks. Gosh, this was, this was months back. You and I had talked about learning vocal lines
0: mm.
1: from –
0: things we talked about, it. yeah.
1: Yeah, from 90s – Girl pop. Girl pop, yeah, Um, and uh, I picked up some Mariah Carey lines, but I had a student come in, and she she said she'd been doing sort of a similar thing. Introduced me to a contemporary, I guess, R and B singer by who goes by the stage name of H period E period R period. Fantastic vocalist like she is wow super great and particularly when you start slowing these these vocal lines to So I was learning the melodic content from them because that was something she was interested in doing And there's so many great things to talk about in this because it just like it's a deep dive into technique you've got Slides you've got vibrato you've got and it's like really well-placed vibrato stuff Sort of david gilmore level of the you know what I mean? You so you have to get in there and you have to like, okay, this one's a little more fast. This one's a little more slow. This one's wide. Um, and just really think about how this vocal line progresses and where it goes and how to approach it on the guitar. Because obviously the voice can do things the guitar struggles with. Yeah. But again, I mean, we talked about it in the past, but it's a fantastic ear training tool. It's a fantastic technique tool and something I would highly recommend. So
0: yeah no absolutely playing the, the vocal lines of things as well is it's yeah it's it's the way to go in terms of even just figuring out harmonies it's such a such a cool way to do it
1: well and uh, learning, l- learning how how to build a solo that speaks instead of just shreds there's, a time, in, there's a time and place for both i think but, yeah you know melodic construction there That's you go very good stuff what about yourself
0: well, John, I've been very busy. I've been, you know, working now a lot, and I've been house hunting. But so my what we've been working on this week has been I've been spending an awful lot of money on building my pedal board. <laughs> and you <laughs> um,
1: tell us about that. You, yeah, so I
0: have. Chat. So we have a, a buying selling website in Ireland called Adverts, and on Adverts, in the last three weeks i have purchased an ep booster uh i have purchased my a uh, famous explorer uh i managed to sell my Les paul and Yay. i bought i finally managed to get a keely tone workstation
1: so you kept the strat then yes
0: i did yes um, okay. i will Good. i will be yeah I, I didn't want didn't want to yeah if people if somebody makes me a nice offer for it i am considering a prs but yeah mm yeah um uh, but man got my keely tone workstation about three hours ago and uh whew, oh my gosh the that overdrive is just insane like so so beautiful uh so yeah i will be playing with that i'm gigging tonight uh with my original three-piece thing so looking forward to busting all of that stuff out Super Um cool. yeah yeah it's it's nice it's it's nice to have a, i just need to make the pedal board look prettier. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. I got to get it insta-worthy, you know, cuz that's what it's all about. You know, it not is. about it, what the sound, it's just about how it looks. It uh, so, uh what have you what have you been listening to?
1: Well, a couple of different things. So, obviously, I I've, I've picked up some of the some of the the her stuff just to listen to just because it, yeah. it, it really is. It's fantastic vocal music. There's I think you could say there is some something to be desired in terms of instrumentation, but when you get down to the vocal lines, like, dude, she's amazing. I'm not going to lie. And then sort of a a more guitar shreddy thing. I've got a a student who's kind of into some what's called tech death, not something I necessarily recommend for everybody, but it's basically shred guitar with death metal death metal vocals. Yeah. Yeah and and great the shred guitar part but it's kind of hard to wrap my head around the death metal vocal like i just yeah. i can't do the
0: yeah.
1: yeah it's very easy to make fun of though it's yeah, pretty, <laughs> yeah. which is why i just did it
0: that's it so, it's the cookie, yeah. cookie monster music um,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah anyway cool. the band is beyond creation um And it's, you know, it's strange to to find this kind of... (laughs) Or they like to say it. And they're kind of like illegible font. You know what I mean? It's like all pointy and spiky. It looks like a rose bush without the roses. And it could honestly say anything. But um, the guitar playing is, again, pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah, I I do like that idea of injecting a bit of, you know, shred into what is usually kind of like a riff-based
1: yeah, I mean, it, traditional death metal stuff is like super heavy riff, and just kind of maybe, maybe some some big power chords on a seven string or something like that. But this is uh, I don't know. It's there's there's a lot of really cool riffs. Most of these bands have these cool intros where you're just like, holy crap, that is some awesome guitar playing. And then I
0: kind of check out when the vocals.
2: Come
0: <laughs> <But> it's
2: still.
0: <laughs> Still good. So, what about you? Well, in preparation, I, I, I didn't. You probably have a bucket list of bands you you wanted to see live.
2: Oh yeah, yes. Doesn't everybody? Talk about
0: that. I, think, yeah, I think everybody that's a good does. good. Uh, but I, one of mine is actually. I will be seeing one of mine uh, in on Wednesday. I am going to go see the AAS supporting Beck uh,
1: oh. in Dublin.
0: Um, Here, I they, thought you were going to say Share. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I just need to go to Vegas, man. That's, uh, that's where she lives. Uh, <laughs> don't play the the
2: air. Air man,
0: I played that at a gig recently and it went down. Um, <laughs> so,
2: really? yeah.
0: It's, that's it's, a better it's, story than whatever it is
1: you're going to tell me next.
0: No yeah I know. <laughs> no, we'll come back to that. Uh no um so yeah Nick Zinner from PAS is one of my favorite guitar players in terms of um riff construction and very much less is more. Uh, I remember the Edge saying that he was extremely jealous of Nick Zinner being able to do so much with so little which is high praise. Yeah, uh, so yeah, if anybody wants to get started on the A.A.S., their first album is, it's it's weird, they go through all these different genres. Uh, the first album is kind of like art punk in you know New York lo-fi stuff. The second album is just kind of indie. The third album is disco. But the second album is really, really great. Just really nice stacked guitar parts. He uses mm. the looper a lot and it just, it works really, really well. Uh, and I do, like I, I have a thing for three pieces. So yeah, really, really excited. So I've just been binging on the A.A.S. Uh, a lot um but yeah that's that's us i think this week um i think so yeah unless uh, both... you want to tell your
1: share story but
0: oh okay well no we see the thing okay so what happened was we i play in this uh 90s girl pop acoustic duo made of grown men and we uh <laughs> we, we 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 i i yeah it's just the thing we do it's it's you know there's a market for it uh and no. we wrote I went. I went through all these different lists of the hundred best songs of the nineties, and one that kept on coming up was "Believe" by Cher. And I'm like, "Yeah, we could do that." Uh, and then I put it in the maybe pile and then uh, and then I meet a friend of mine I, I go out to a bar and I meet a friend of mine and I get a bit drunk and I was like you gotta come to our next gig we're playing Believe by Cher and then he, come, he comes up and he brings all these like gays who are just like Cher Cher and we're just like we don't know like we didn't learn it so I just like look up the chords real quickly on my phone I'm like are we doing this and we do it and we do it like from start to finish and like people <laughs> love it so it's in the set list now and um, yeah, it's funny. It's just, so who yeah. does the who does the lead vocals on it though? Oh, Stephen Sharp, of course. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, so it's just me and him, and I play acoustic guitar. We have learned some absolutely awful songs. Okay, but, I didn't realize it. I
1: didn't realize it was with Stephen, but okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 fun. I just um, had,
1: I I sort of imagined you and like you know James Mulvaney from the guitarist Ireland
0: page. Yes, like somebody like that.
1: No, kind no, of exactly. like. <laughs>
0: You know yeah. a bit, bit more sassy uh, <laughs> so that's my share story uh, everybody has, has to have a share story uh, a share story to share um, I will anyway. See you anyway uh, i will see you very soon hopefully we'll be able to do an in-person recording soon because you're coming over here soon
1: indeed indeed so i, I will be back in ireland it'll be grand
0: it will
2: uh, i will see you next week buddy uh, All right, you- stay sharp my friends